Well, good morning. Oof, tough crowd. All right. uh, good to see you all. I was going to wish you a happy new year, but it's a bit early for that, isn't it? Um, you know, there are some passages that um, you've got a particular fondness for. Uh, one we're looking at this morning is one of those for me. Uh, these 12 verses in Romans, I think, are such a rich expression of God's love for us. Um, they give us such great assurance, uh, not only of what God is doing in our world and through our lives, but such assurance that God is on our side, that he is for us. Uh, so I thought it might be uh, a good thing for us to have a look at these verses today as we uh, start a new year. Uh, but how about I, I pray for us as we uh, look at God's word together. Father, we thank you for uh, the year just past uh, and the things that you uh, have taught us, uh, the things that you have um, brought about um, in and through our lives. Thank you for the things that we have learnt, the ways that we have grown. Uh, we pray that as we think about the year to come now, uh, that you might impress upon us uh, those things that are most dear to your heart uh, and what you would, um, you would want for us uh, in 2024. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you're the kind to make New Year's resolutions. Um, apparently uh, some people do, some people don't. I, I don't particularly like making them, mainly because of my track record in keeping them. Um, they say that the only thing easier than making a New Year's resolution is breaking it. Uh, the website Finder recently did a survey asking about people's resolutions for the year to come, and this was the, uh, the top five. You might see a theme developing there. Uh, the first three uh, have all got to do with with health and, and fitness and, and a, a better kind of lifestyle. Um, in fact, interestingly, you had to get to number seven before you found something that was a little other person-centred. Uh, volunteering came in at number seven on that list. Um, now, of course, there are some of us that love making New Year's resolutions. Um, I thought it was curious in the survey results, they also mentioned that young people were much more likely to be making resolutions than older people. Uh, in fact, they asked if anyone was making any resolutions, and only half of the boomers said they were going to bother making any. Um, but the Gen Zers, 92%, um, said they were making New Year's resolutions. Now, I think there's a couple of ways you can interpret that information. Um, either the, the boomers are just more content with life and, and don't feel the need for it, um, or they've just given up. And you can draw your own conclusions. According to Strava, the, um, the fitness tracking website, January 12 is the day, the day when most people have abandoned their fitness ambitions. Not even two weeks. Now, whatever you think of resolutions, um, the start of a new year does present us with an opportunity to reflect on the year just past, to reassess what's going on in our lives, those things that are most important to us, and lots of people do use it as an opportunity to try and readjust their priorities, to set goals for the year to come. But even if resolutions aren't your thing, uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that God was writing your New Year's resolution for you. What do you think he might put down? What would God be interested in? How much you exercised? Perhaps. I want to suggest that at the very top of God's list of resolutions for each one of us, and 
going to suggest it be the same thing every year, uh, comes out of the passage that we're looking at this morning. And it's not particularly complicated. Uh, at the top of God's list for each one of us would be that we become more like Jesus. And it comes out of those verses that we read from Romans 8. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's resolution for you this year, indeed every year, is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's what he wants for each one of us. That's why he's called us to be his. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you own him as your Lord and Saviour, you belong to his family. And there is a family likeness that we're each to take on. And it's not about the shape of your toes or the colour of your skin. This family likeness is about our very selves, who we are, our hearts, our loves, our passions, those things that matter most to us. And it's in those things that God wants us more and more to reflect the nature of Jesus, the character of Jesus. And so God's resolution for each one of us this year is that we would become more like Jesus. And this is not just a wishful thought on God's part. God actually says that he is at work in our lives to make this happen. See verse 28? God promises that he is at work in all things for our good. Now, that's the kind of verse I think you're likely to find on an inspirational bookmark or a coffee mug down at Kurong. that in all things God works for your good. It's a lovely sentiment, but what does that mean? See, the good that God wants for us is not that we would be healthy or wealthy, not that they're bad things. But as we've seen in the verse that follows this one, verse 29, God explains what his good is for us, that good that we would become more like Jesus, that we would take on his character in our own lives. Now, verse 28, I think, is a wonderful promise, this idea that God's at work in all things for our good. But it's not the easiest thing to understand or accept at times, is it? There's kind of a sting in the tail of that promise. And I think it's in those two little words, all things. See, God, I think we would want to acknowledge, is at work in our lives, but is he really at work in everything? What about those things that are not so good? Like when you lose your job or when your health deteriorates, or you lose someone that you love. Is God in that? Does God even want to be associated with those things? Well, it may be a difficult thing for us to accept at times, but God says that he is working at all times and in all things. Now, I don't think we can always see how God is working through 
those particularly difficult and even painful things? I'm sure there are times, with the benefit of hindsight, when you can look back and you can see how God brought some good from something that, at the time, you couldn't possibly comprehend. But I don't think that's always the case either. I know that we can see it a lot more clearly if we understand what God is promising us here and if we understand and appreciate God's commitment and his desire to see us grow and mature as his children. A little earlier in the book of Romans, Paul um, has expanded on this idea, I think, talks about how this might work. Back in chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, he says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Realising that God is at work in all things can so rearrange and adjust the way that we, we view our lives in this world that we can get to the point where we can even, as Paul says here, rejoice in our suffering. Not because we like suffering, but because we recognise that through the experience of hardships, God is doing a work within us. God can help us to grow, to mature. It, it develops certain things within us. Things like perseverance and hope, empathy, a deeper trust and dependence on God himself. These verses in Romans 8, I think, can very much be an anchor for our lives. Paul wants us to be able to stand firm when those difficult times come, not to be people who waver in our commitment to God, but instead be people whose instinct is to trust him. Now, if there's any doubt about whether or not God can actually be trusted, if God has our best interests at heart, uh, Paul goes on in the next few verses to assure us and reassure us that, that God is for us, that God is on our side, that he is in our corner. So read with me those verses again from verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God is on your side, you're in a pretty good spot. In sport, they talk about having the hometown advantage. Um, and if you've ever been in a tipping competition for the football, uh, you'll know that when you're looking at the, the upcoming matches for the week and who you should tip, um, invariably you should almost always go for the home team, the team that's hosting the game, um, regardless sometimes even of the position on the ladder and who they're playing, because that team has got this magical thing called the hometown advantage. Now, it's never really made any sense to me. Surely the best team should win no matter where they play. The field's the same dimensions, the rules are the same, the players are the same. Should it matter where they play? Time and time again, though, the home team, well, more often than not, wins. Now, sometimes the conditions or the particular weather in that part of the world plays a part, 
But if you ask the players, the players will tell you that the main reason is the fans. It's the support they get from the supporters who come along to cheer them. And in those moments when they're exhausted, when they can't give any more, the cheers of the crowd spur them on. Well, as a follower of Jesus, you should be aware that you have a rather unfair hometown advantage. God is for you. God is on your side. He is in your corner. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Even if it's just you and God against the rest of the world, you are on the winning team. And if you've got any doubts about how God's heart is towards you, Paul directs us to look at the cross to see again what God has done for us in Jesus. Verse 32 there, that he who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. God has already given you the very best he has to give. He's given you his own son. It doesn't make any sense then to think that God would want to hold anything back from you that is good for you, that you truly need. Paul also wants to reassure us that our standing before God is secure, no matter what happens to us in this life. And so he goes on in verse 33 to say this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. God wants us to be sure of where we stand with him. To know that no charge can now be brought against those who belong to Jesus. Jesus died. He was raised to life. He now sits beside the Father in heaven, interceding for you. And so when I come to stand before God, there won't be any plea bargaining deals done. There won't be any fancy legal arguments to try and get me off. I will stand before God guilty and that I cannot change. But Jesus will be there too. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, as he is right now. And he will simply present his blood shed for me. And that will be enough. That will be more than enough. These verses should be a great comfort to us. To know that there is... Nothing to fear when God is for you. No charge can be brought against those who've been forgiven in Jesus. And if you needed any more convincing that God was in your corner, Paul finishes this section with a flurry as he asks one last question. Can anything separate us from the love of God? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who or what can separate us from God's love? The short answer is nothing, Uh, but we're given this barrage of examples uh, of things that might possibly separate us from God's love or make us feel that way anyway, Uh, trouble, hardship, famine, poverty, even death itself. But none of those things have the power to disrupt what God has given us. Paul doesn't want us to miss the point. God doesn't want us to miss the point that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do you understand that? Do you, do you feel that? Perhaps just import, as importantly, do you live in the light of it? Perhaps you don't feel that way. Perhaps you feel like God has given you a bit of a raw deal in life. Hardships have come. The family situation has turned bad. Perhaps you feel like God might be punishing you for something. Maybe someone you care about gets sick or the money dries up. Has God stopped blessing you? God wants us to learn to trust him. To trust not only that he knows what's best for us, but that he wants what is best for us. And that is no blind trust. It's a trust that's rooted in what we know to be true of God. The one who is for us. The one who's given his own son to make us his And so we need to learn to to trust that whatever circumstances, whatever difficulties come our way or have already come your way, God says he is in control. And more than that, he is actually at work. He's at, at work through the events or circumstances of your life to do a work in you, to form you into the person he wants you to be, to form you into someone who looks more like his son Jesus. So what are you hoping to achieve in the year to come? Do you have resolutions? And where does God's resolution fit in with your plans for 2024? What sort of priority have you set on maturing as a child of God, of becoming more like Jesus? Practically, what can you do to help that along, make that happen? Well, all kinds of things. I'll give you a few suggestions. Uh, If you're not in one already, uh, can I encourage you to think about joining a a midweek Bible study group? Not just signing up to one, but actually showing up. That's good too. Um, To make that time during the week to spend with a group of fellow believers 
to look at God's word together, to think about who God is, or what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in and through your life and the lives of the other people there, thinking about how God calls you to live. Maybe it would be helpful for you to develop some kind of uh, personal uh, devotional practice, spending time in God's word yourself each day. Um, There's all kinds of great resources out there that will help you read a part of God's word and, and think it through just in your own time. That discipline might be helpful for you. Maybe it would be helpful for you to find uh, a way to serve people in this church. I know many of you do all kinds of things already. Uh, but think about doing something perhaps that will stretch you. That isn't just convenient for you to do, but something that is worth doing regardless. Or it might be helpful for you to, to read a Christian book or two, something that's going to challenge you in your thinking and encourage you in living for Jesus. It doesn't have to be those things necessarily, um, but are you going to share God's commitment to you in wanting to see you grow as his child? And will you do those things that are going to enable you to grow in your relationship with God this year? Whatever happens in 2024, and it may bring hard and difficult things, Go back to verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 and remember that God has promised that he's working in all things for your good to make you more like Jesus. He's going to lead us in prayer.